Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. 1 Peter, in the Pew Bible, is page uh, uh, 1892. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. You can read with me. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Father, in reality, when we compare ourselves with some of our brothers and sisters around the world, we don't know what suffering is. But in many ways, even living in this sinful world, just like Lot, who was vexed by living in that sinful world in which he was in Sodom and Gomorrah any sensitive, spiritually sensitive person is vexed to live in this culture that is constantly, constantly chipping away at the biblical foundation. But we know that we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors because of Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen. Those who know the world of animals tell us that a lion, well, the lions always roar, but they roar the loudest under three conditions, whether you hear them roar the most. They roar when another lion intrudes into their territories to try to hunt in their territories. They tell us that the lions at that point roars very loud, telling that intruder, get out of my territory and stay out. The second time that a lion really roars loud is when there is thunder and lightning. For some reason, lions uh, are, are terrified of thunder and lightning. They don't like it, so they roar very loudly. The third time, and that's what I will be talking about today, is when a, a lion roars loud, really loudest, is after he gets his prey. After he gets that animal which he's been tracing, first of all, he's He's been waiting for quietly, then he chases after the, the, the prey, and then when he pins that animal that under his control, he would roar the loudest. That is the roar of triumph. It's a thrill of victory after overwhelming his prey. Now, first of all, I want to paint a picture that a lot of Christians have in their mind when 
they hear a passage like Peter. It's not the picture that Peter paints, but many Christians think this way. Just think with me for a moment. They see themselves, I see the Christian as a person who is perched on top of a high tree where the lion cannot reach and he cannot climb. So he roar like a dog barking at a cat that he can't reach. But that is not the picture that is painted here. The picture that Peter paints for us is the lion doesn't behave that way. That's not how the lion behaves, like a dog. A lion does not roar while he's stalking his prey. He doesn't do that. He, a lion never announces his presence. A lion never announces his arrival. A lion never roars because he doesn't want to frighten his prey and would run away. His modus operandi is to get as close to his prey as possible, as quietly as possible. Never wants to be heard or seen. He wants to get as close as possible. And by the time his prey sees him, it's too late. Now, when Peter said that the devil prowls around, he does so very quietly, very cunningly. He waits for an opportune time. I'm going to talk about that more next message with the temptation of Jesus and give you an example. Waiting for his moment. And he saves his roar until the victim is pinned down. Now, let me tell you something at the outset. Are you ready to listen? If you find this uncomfortable, raise your hand. And be honest now. Raise your hand. Only half a dozen honest people? <laughs> I'm raising my hand. I'm not only finding this uncomfortable for me personally, I find it uncomfortable to preach about. Truth, absolute truth. But I'm not called to be comfortable. I'm called to be alert. I'm called to be vigilant. And you often, or some of you have heard me through the years, would say that I become greatly concerned if I go for a period of time without the enemy of my soul attacking me. I really do. I become very concerned. You know why? Because I know he's planning something big. <laughs> and so what do I do when Satan is quiet and not attacking? I intensify my prayer time. I intensify my prayer rather than get lulled to sleep. Now, in the past, I used to do that when I was a, a young Christian. I told you in the last message that whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, <laughs> whether we agree with it or not, Satan is a in a state of war with you. Yeah. 
It's not a matter of choice. It's not a matter of take it or leave it. He is in a state of war with you. Please listen to me. The Bible calls him our adversary. This adversarial relationship started the moment we said yes to Jesus. Why? (laughs) Because that moment he lost you as his follower. Because that moment uh, he had been insulted by you. Because that moment you were snatched out of the jaws of death and sin. Because that moment he lost a future companion with him in the lake of fire. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because that's the moment with God's power and God's grace, you kicked Satan in the teeth, and he never forgives you for it. He just doesn't know how to forgive. He, He can't forgive you. Please, please hear exactly what I'm saying, okay? There can be no neutrality in Satan's attitude toward you. <laughs> you may have neutrality in your attitude toward Satan. He has no neutrality of his attitude toward you, who is a Bible-believing, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> who is a Bible-believing Christian. Because he thought he had you in the bag, but you broke free. He can't forgive you for that. And when that happened, Satan doesn't shrug off and say, oh, my goodness, another one bit the dust. No. No. Or never mind. (laughs) I'll never miss him. I'll never miss her. No. He sends one of his agents after you. Now, beloved, if your experience anything like mine, now I can only go by telling you what my experience. Satan wants to stop you from living the life of faith. He wants you to live by sight. So there'll be no distinction between you and those who don't know Jesus. He wants to stop you from living a life of obedience to the Word of God. He wants us to separate us from the power of God. He can never separate you from God. I'm going to tell you this in a minute. But He wants to separate you from the power of God. He wants to separate you from the grace of God. He wants to separate you from the mercy of God. That's what He constantly tries to do so He can get you out to have His way. Before I go any further, I want to remind you of the promise that we've been going through every in the series, or we continue for the rest of the series. He who's in us is greater than he who's in the world. I want you to say that with me. He. I want you to place this on your fridge, on your walls, in your office, in your home, and I don't want you to ever forget it. Ever forget it. Because if you know all about the enemy of your soul, and you don't understand the promise of God for those who put their faith in Jesus, you can be terrified. And that's not what God called us to do. He called us to live with joy and peace and in victory. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
No doubt that agents, that Satan's agent whispers in your ear. He may be doing that right now. You don't believe the stuff about the devil, do you? Do you really believe that stuff? Do you really believe that there is a personal Satan? Does a Satan exist? This Satan idea is a metaphorical, not literal. Oh, my goodness, I heard preachers say that. You have enough problem to worry about than worrying about a personal devil. You need to forget about that stuff. You're a decent person, and God has no choice but to accept you because you are a decent person. Now, beloved, be very careful negotiating and debating with the voice of the enemy. Be very careful negotiating and <laughs> debating. <laughs> For when you do that, you will end up like the man, the hunter, and you get into the same risk as he did, who faced a huge grizzly bear. So he took his rifle and aimed, and he's about to pull the trigger when the bear spoke. You see, the grizzly speaks, yep. And the hunter was so surprised of how soft the voice of the grizzly was, almost hypnotic. <laughs> and the bear said to the hunter, he said, isn't better to talk than to shoot? Why don't we just sit down and negotiate? Let's, 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 well, let's find out what you want, and, and, and we come to a, a, middle, a middle answer somehow. The hunter lowered his gun, and he thought about it for a moment. He said, well, all I want is a fair coat. The grizzly said, fair coat? That's not a problem. That's not a problem. We can talk about that because all I want is a full stomach. <laughs> Let's come to a compromise. So they talked it over, and then negotiated. In the end, they talked it over, they discussed it, they agreed, but then the grizzly was walking away alone. Through the negotiation, the bear managed to fill his stomach and given the hunter what he wanted, a fair coat. <laughs> Beloved, listen to me. You can no more negotiate with Satan than you negotiate with the grizzly. Remember again, Isaiah 14, 13, and 14. Satan said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will make myself like the Most High. He wanted to be worshipped instead of God. And as a result, he was thrown out of heaven. But don't ever forget, don't ever forget, don't ever forget, even though Satan was defeated on the cross, he has never given up his ambition. Never given up his ambition. Even though he was rendered toothless 
and clawless by Jesus. And he can never, ever, ever challenge God again. But he can still try to challenge God by going after his children, his faithful children. Ah, that is why Peter, who had experienced firsthand, he experienced firsthand the falling in Satan's trap. He could give us this warning. Only a man can speak from the crucible of his pain, could say, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is prowling around like a roaring lion. Question, what does it take to be sober in the real sense, in the, in the, in the, in the normal physical sense? Nothing, really. You don't have to do anything. You just stay sober. You don't have to go to school to learn how to be sober. You, you, you don't have to go and get a course on being sober, unless you're in trouble. <laughs> you don't do anything to be sober. All you need to do is not get drunk. Getting drunk takes, involves action. <laughs> being sober doesn't. I told you in the last message that when you hear the Scripture says, be vigilant and be sober, doesn't mean you grit your teeth and you're worried and you're sitting there 24-7 and say, oh, I've got to be vigilant, I've got to be vigilant, I've got to be vigilant. No, 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 no. That, that, that's, that's not how it works. Being vigilant means that you rest in the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to do something to get drunk, right? <laughs> but you don't have to do anything to be sober. You see, a drunk person has a, an impaired vision. Uh, he has uh, impaired ability to react quickly. He has an impaired control of his limbs. <laughs> and ultimately, a drunk person really uh, has an, uh, self-deception. <laughs> you see, sometimes he totally can't even walk and say, no, I can drive. That's self-deception. Let me translate this to the spiritual. If you listen, say amen. amen. Living in disobedience to the Word of God is a spiritual drunkenness. Why? How? Living in disobedience numbs your spiritual senses and makes you not alert to the enemy's design on you. Listen to me. Those who are not spiritually sober, unable to see things from God's perspective. And if Peter is telling us anything in these few verses, he's telling us to be serious-minded about the devil to be serious-minded about Satan's traps, to be not serious and not flippant about Satan because he means business, because he cannot get to God, so he will try to get to one of his children. And we're seeing this happening all over the place. My believing friends, my believing friend, 
We see that also in the Scripture. And, and that is why it's not a surprise that the Scripture, the New Testament, says that even the Old Testament stuff that so many pastors want to get rid of and say, oh, that's Old Testament is no longer relevant, <laughs> it was written for our instruction. It's written for our warnings. Throughout the Scripture, Joshua, who was handpicked successor by Moses, Joshua was leading the people of God into the promised land, one of the great privileges. Moses even couldn't have that privilege, but Joshua was. And he goes in there, and God gives him instruction. The Word of God comes to him in such a way that it doesn't even make sense to anyone, let alone a military leader. What is this marching around the wall seven times going to make the wall fall? It doesn't even make sense. But he obeyed it. And the wall fell, and they became victorious. Jericho's wall fell, flushed with victory. Look what I did. <laughs> uh, look what I did. He ceased to ask the counsel of God. And then he goes out there, the army of the living God, they go to a little tiny town of A and they get clobbered, clobbered. He goes out crying and goes, oh, God, what's happening? What's happening? And God said, you know, Joshua, had you prayed? Had you counseled with me? Have you, have you consulted me? I would have told you that there is a sin in your camp. And Joshua does the right thing. He repents. He cleanses the camp. He goes back to the Lord. And you would think that he learned that lesson. I know. When I fail again and again, and you think that I, I, I always praise the Lord, I'm sorry, but I should have learned that lesson. Sometimes God has to hit me by the two by four. I'm always grateful for those two by fours. I promise you that. Not at the time, maybe, but later. And you would think he had learned his lesson, and he would go back to God and consult God when these tricky, cunning, conniving Gibeonites come in, and they trick him. They tell him a, a, a sob story, you know, just tugged on his heartstrings. Be very careful when you react emotionally, Okay. Be very, very careful. Be very, very careful when you don't act with the Spirit and just with your emotions. That's what Joshua did. A second time. And he enters into a covenant with the Gibeonites, something that the Word of God said never to do. Something that if he had gone back to God and consulted and said, Lord, should I do this? And God would have said, no. Do not enter into a covenant with your enemies. So did King David. The man of whom God said, I found his heart after my own heart. God, what, what, you couldn't get any greater praise than what God says, this man's heart is after my heart. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, 
we see the man of God stopped being vigilant. Stop being vigilant. And he ends up in the river of lust, covetousness, adultery, intrigue, betrayal, and finally, murder. I told you I don't have joy saying these things, speaking these things. I don't have comfort in my spirit, but I say them because it's the truth. It's the truth of the Word of God. Do you know what the original decision that led to all that mess, to that sordid affair, you know what that decision was? Actually, in chapter 2 Samuel 11:1, 1, there are five words, just five words, five very innocent words, for five seemingly uh, harmless words, five words that appear to be insignificant. But I want you to look at them with me, okay? Now, in reality, let's be truthful, we don't know exactly the reason why he didn't go and stayed home. We don't, and we don't know. I'm, I want the Bible doesn't say it. I, I don't, a lot of people have speculated, but that, that's, that's not my place. The point is that he stayed in Jerusalem, but David stayed in Jerusalem. Five words. David did not exercise his primary responsibility. David did not exercise his role of leadership. He did not hear the lion creeping around him. He did not prepare for the temptation. He was not alert to the traps that are being set up for him. Question. When you can't sleep, what do you do? Don't do what David did. I know you don't have roofs, so you don't go up on the roof. <laughs> don't turn that television on. There are nights when I can't sleep. The first thing I do is I'll have it by my bed. I listen to the Word of God spoken into my ear, and then I sleep like a baby. <laughs> don't do what David did. You say, my, why, Michael? Listen to me, please. Because I know and you know that every moment that is not dedicated to some godly end is an opportunity for the devil to use. Had David walked across the street to the temple to the, to, instead of going up on the rooftop, it would have been a different story. Had he gone across the street to worship, but even then, even then, had he not inquired about Bathsheba, who is she? Boys, come over here. Who's this one? Who's this? This sordid trial, trail, trail, would not have unfolded. You know the rest of the story. I'm not going to get into it. Joshua was not vigilant, and he failed. David was not vigilant, and he failed. 
Oh, but the very man who gives us this warning, the very man, and I kept him to the end because that's very, very important. It's the heart of the text. The very man who warns us, the great apostle Peter, the man who says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, is prodding around. Peter, the chief disciple, he wants us, and he warns us out of the crucible of his own experience, his own experience. Like all of us, Peter had his Achilles heel. I have my Achilles heel. Do you want to know what mine is? Yeah, come on. You're, you're curious. You're curious, I know. And I want to tell you, every area of life, every area of life is my Achilles heels. There's not a single area that I can tell you, oh, I'm strong in here, I'm strong in there. No, not one. If somebody would come and accuse me of something, I tell them, you don't understand. You don't understand. I am far worse than you think. And this is not false humility. I really believe there is nothing good dwell in me except Jesus. Why? Why do I say this? Because the moment I say, well, I'm strong here, well, I'm strong there, that is the area, that the, the very area that Satan will go after me with cleats. Thus I guard and surrender every area of life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to the power of the Holy Spirit. What was Peter's real Achilles heel? He's courageous, right? He's a bravado. And he wanted everybody to know it. <laughs> He's not just <laughs> important in his own eyes. He wanted everybody to know how courageous he is. Look at me. You're a bunch of wimps. I'm not. Luke 22:33. If you can go to it, just write it down. Jot it down and go home when you read it. Read it home when you, when you go home. And particularly, I'm going to come back to 31, 32, and 33. But 33. He expresses this courageous enthusiasm by saying to Jesus, you know, Jesus, of all these wimps, not my own word, uh, not his word, <laughs> they all kind of forsake you, not me. I'm your man. I've got your back. Not just go to prison with you. I'm going to die with you if I have to. Remember, they all had just had a precious meal all of them had a precious meal with our Lord Jesus. And there, during that meal, he said to them, he said that he, <coughs> that he is the Passover lamb. And he's going to die for the redemption and the salvation of the world. And yet Peter bellows out this bravado dribble. I 
I want you to think with me, okay? Just please think with me. I don't want to do the thinking for you. I want you to think with me because that's the only way you're going to learn. He expressed willingness to die, right? Verse 33, Luke 22, 22, 33. It's easy to remember. If you go up just two verses above 33, only two verses. I, I've flunked math, but I can tell what two is. Uh, <laughs> 31 and 32. Verses 31 and 32. Two verses, just go up. Here, <laughs> you read of how Jesus, I'm just telling you, I, I love actually when I'm alone reading this. <laughs> we read about Jesus warning specifically Peter. He did not just get all of your disciples. Or, no, no, Peter, it's a specific warning for Peter in those two verses above. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands or sought or requested to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have interceded for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, that's when you've repented, and when you're renewed, go back and strengthen your brothers. Beloved, I, you might not have, some of you grew in the country, you might know this, but this is really back in the days of Noah where I grew up, and uh, I've seen sifting of wheat. I've seen these boys put all this wheat and in the sieve, and specific sieve for wheat. And, and they go like this, shake it side to side. Then they throw it up in the air, and they blow on it so that the chaff may be blown away and only the wheat left. It is a painful experience for the wheat. Shaken vigorously. I don't need to tell you that during our Lord's trial, Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times. And Satan roared. I got your man. I got your chief disciple. The Bible said Peter went out and wept bitterly. And yet the sifting had just started. <laughs> had just started. After the sifting of fear came the sifting of self-doubt. But thank God, Peter did not surrender to that self-doubt that caused Judas to commit suicide. Question. How many Christians do you know that have been trapped in the feeling of depression and discouragement and despondency? Why? Because they don't know how to repent. They don't know how to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. They don't know how to reclaim their rightful place, position, and authority as the children of the living God. Judah's sin is no greater than Peter's, and yet the difference is, was knowing how to repent. The difference is believing that 
God accepts and renews and restores repentant sinners. No matter how big is your sin, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how deep is your failure, no matter how low you have gotten, there is one thing Satan wants you to do, and that is stay down. Stay down. Getting up, repenting, and returning to your first love is the greatest defeat of Satan's design on you. Did you get that? I'm going to repeat it. Getting up, Repenting, returning to your first love is your, greatest, is your greatest defeat of Satan's design on you. Peter, no doubt, no doubt. Remember the words of Jesus when you return, when you're restored, when you go back to your spiritual sobriety. You need to do one thing. Strengthen your brothers. And my beloved friends, part of his strengthening of his brothers is the warning that he gives us in the Bible, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be vigilant. These words that Peter put here in 1 Peter 5, 5 8, and 9, no doubt, has strengthened millions of Christians in the last 2,000 years. He's strengthening his brothers just as Jesus asked him to. Or listen to what John said in 1 John 5.18. We know that anyone who's born of God does not keep on sinning or does not live in sin or does not stay in sin. But he who's born of God protects himself and the evil one does not touch him. Now, I need to explain what touch means. Full meaning does not touch him. You see, Satan can never, 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 never sever our vital union with Christ if you're born again. Satan can never, never, never break the cord of salvation. Even Careless believers cannot lose their salvation. God has spoken. Jesus said, those whom the Father has given me, I'll lose none. My Father is greater than all, and He will lose none. God has spoken, and Satan is powerless to change that. He's powerless to change it. Ah, but Satan can devour almost everything else around you. If you let him, that's really the operative word, if you let him. If you allow Him, if you get away from under the cover of the Word of God and obedience to the Word of God, if you stray away from the covering of the Lord Jesus, listen to me. Satan can devour your effectiveness for God. Satan can devour your peace of mind. Satan can devour your witness. Satan can devour your health. Satan can devour your marriage. Satan can devour your business if you let him. If you let him. I repeat, if you let him, if you allow him, if you give him an open door. Remember this. Remember this. Because I know that some evangelicals 
who really poo-pooed all of the spiritual warfare stuff. I, I know, but that's okay. If that is the case, Peter said, you know, Satan, he's really a paper tiger. Don't worry about him. Or Paul could have said, you know, this whole armor of God that we sang about this morning, you know, that whole armor of God, just leave it home. You don't need it. You're saved. Some of you are remembering some of these things you heard. <laughs> James would have said, the half-brother of Jesus, he could have said to Christians, don't bother resisting the devil. He'll never come near you. But my beloved, that is not what the Word of God said. And I'm going to only tell you what the Word of God said. All the New Testament writers again and again and again are saying, be vigilant. Put on the whole arm of God. Resist the devil. Let me conclude by telling you how the enemy loves to keep you weak. He loves to keep me weak and vulnerable to his attack because that's, he's got to start with that. He's got to make you weak and vulnerable so that way you are open to the attack. I can tell you this, and you know this. I, I, I'm not making this stuff up. I think the vast majority of Christians are living in the neutral, right? They're in the neutral gear in their Christian walk. They are unproductive for the kingdom of God and for the work of God. They are saved, but their Christian walk is going nowhere. I think you know that, and I know this. This, my beloved friends, listen to me, this is profoundly satisfying to the enemy of your soul. He loves it that way. He loves it that way. Countless troops in God's army have never received their basic training. I pray to God that this part of the series that I'm doing is basic training. <laughs> I haven't taken you any deeper than this basic training. This is just basic training. And the devil doesn't like it one bit. And I know, don't ask me how. I know. From the enemy's point of view, his highest achievement is keeping Christians in the neutral. So you're in the car, and you're pushing the accelerator, and you're going nowhere. And, and, and you say, well, why is the car not going anywhere? Why am I not going anywhere with my Christian world? Hey, put it in the first gear. Take it out of neutral. I think most of you know what I'm talking about. Your effectiveness, your impact for God, your influence for God. We saw that Satan cannot undo your salvation because God has spoken and he's powerless. So he does the next best thing for the believer, for the Bible-believing Christian. I'm not talking about the professing Christians. Many of them don't even acknowledge his existence. So he keeps you in the area of ineffectiveness, not going anywhere, not doing anything, just marching along life's highway. And 
keeps them from applying the Word of God into their life. He keeps Christians in that murky, shallow waters of my felt needs. He keeps you focused on your problems. Oh, you got lots of problems. <laughs> oh, me. He keeps him worrying about the little kingdoms. The little kingdoms. They fail to see the big kingdom of God. See, these Christians are never a threat to Satan. He leaves them alone. They are soldiers that cannot shoot. They are fighters that cannot fight. It is my pleading with God and then appealing to you that this would not be the case. Not one single person at the sound of my voice, wherever you are, would start today to be the great army of God that makes the devil tremble. Can you say amen? Let him hear it. Lord God, you've given us all that we need. And, and even some of many things we want. You've given us so many blessings. Even sitting here in this beautiful sanctuary, hearing the Word of God, it's a privilege so many believers around the world don't even have. Oh, God, we're sorry of what we made of it. Sorry that we have taken all of this for granted and never been serious-minded, sober, vigilant. Father, forgive us for living in the neutral. And we allow the enemy of our soul to neutralize us. And Lord, we see how the world around us is getting darker and darker and bleaker and bleaker. Raise up. Raise up the church of God. Raise up the army of God. Wake up the church, Lord. Wake up your church. For we ask this only for the glory of Jesus. In his name I pray.